the America's National Parks podcast is sponsored by L.L. Bean. L.L. Bean is a proud partner of the National Park Foundation. L.L. Bean and the National Park Foundation share a belief that every community should have the opportunity and resources to experience the joy of the outdoors together. Through this partnership, they're not only helping people find their parks, they're helping people protect, restore, and improve parks across the U.S. If it's outside, L.L. Bean is all in. Be an outsider with L.L. Bean. battle for conservation and the protection and reinvigoration of endangered species, one animal serves as a symbol to remind us of what we've done as a human race and how we have the responsibility to fix our mistakes. It all played out in America's first and most famous national park. I'm Jason Epperson. And today on America's National Parks, Yellowstone. And the 25th anniversary of the return of the Gray Wolf. In the 1800s, westward expansion brought settlers and their livestock into direct contact with native predator and prey species. Much of the wolves' prey base was destroyed as agriculture flourished. With the prey removed, wolves began to hunt domestic stock, which resulted in humans eliminating wolves from most of their historical range. Predator control, including poisoning, was practiced in Yellowstone National Park in the late 1800s and early 1900s. And other predators such as bears, cougars, and coyotes were also killed to protect livestock and more desirable wildlife species, such as deer and elk. The gray wolf was present in Yellowstone when the park was established in 1872. Today, it's difficult for many people to understand why early park managers would have participated in the extermination of wolves After all, the Yellowstone National Park Act of 1872 stated that the Secretary of the Interior shall provide against the wanton destruction of the fish and game found within said park. But this was an era before people, including many biologists, understood the concepts of ecosystem and the interconnectedness of species. At the time, the wolves' habit of killing prey species was considered wanton destruction of the animals, and between 1914 and 1926, at least 136 wolves were killed in the park. By the 1940s, wolf packs were rarely reported, and by mid-century, they had been almost entirely eliminated, not only from Yellowstone, but from the 48 states. An intensive survey in the 1970s found no evidence of a wolf population at all in Yellowstone, although an occasional wolf probably wandered into the area. 
A wolf was filmed in Hayden Valley in August of 1992, and a wolf was shot just outside the park's southern boundary in September of 1992. However, no verifiable evidence of a breeding pair of wolves existed. Back in the 60s, National Park Service wildlife management policy changed to allow populations to manage themselves. Many suggested at the time that for such regulation to succeed, the wolf had to be part of this picture. National awareness of environmental issues and consequences had led to the passage of many laws designed to correct the mistakes of the past and help prevent similar mistakes in the future. One such law was the Endangered Species Act, passed in 1973, requiring by law the restoration of endangered species that have been eliminated to an area, if possible. By 1978, all wolf subspecies were on the federal list for the lower 48 states, except Minnesota. Doug Smith is the senior wildlife biologist with Yellowstone National Park. Yellowstone is the world's first national park, and everybody in America is very proud of that. But there's been a a struggle to figure out what a national park should be like. And probably one of our founding philosophies is it should be natural. It should be a natural system that functions the way um, the earth did before humans altered it. And so it was written into our policy that we're going to restore and protect natural systems. And the early managers of Yellowstone didn't really know what natural looked like. So we've been struggling towards natural our entire history. And that definition has evolved. And that definition, the modern one, now includes you need to have natural predators. And so we tried to eradicate them. Wolves, cougars, coyotes, bobcat, lynx. We did that in the early part of the 20th century because we thought that was the ideal. We didn't have a complex mindset about policy in terms of natural. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service's 1987 Northern Rocky Mountain Wolf Recovery Plan proposed reintroduction of an experimental population of wolves into Yellowstone. Four years later, in 1991, Congress provided funds to prepare an environmental impact statement. In June of 94, after several years and a near record number of public comments, the Secretary of the Interior approved the reintroduction of gray wolves to Yellowstone and central Idaho. Park staff completed site planning and archaeological and sensitive plant surveys for the release sites. Each site was approximately one acre and closed with nine gauge chain link fence and 10 by 10 foot panels. The fences had a two foot overhang and a four foot skirt at the bottom to discourage climbing over or digging under the enclosure. Each pen had a small holding area attached to allow a wolf to be separated from the group if necessary for medical treatment. Plywood boxes provided shelter if the wolves wanted isolation from each other. Canadian wildlife biologists captured wolves in Canada to relocate and release in Yellowstone in Idaho. In mid-January 1995, 14 wolves were temporarily penned in Yellowstone. The first eight wolves on January 12th and the second six on the 19th. Wolves from one social group were together in each acclimation pen. 
The next January, 17 more animals were brought to Yellowstone for a second year of wolf restoration. Each wolf was radio collared and while temporarily penned, they experienced minimal human contact. Twice a week, they were fed elk, deer, moose, or bison that had died in and around the park. They were guarded by law enforcement rangers who minimized how much the wolves saw humans. The pen sites and surrounding areas were closed to visitation and marked to prevent unauthorized entry. Biologists checked on the welfare of the wolves twice each week using telemetry or visual observation while placing food in the pens. Several lawsuits were filed to stop the restoration on a variety of grounds. These suits were consolidated, and on December of 1997, a judge found the wolf reintroduction program in Yellowstone a violation of the intent of the Endangered Species Act because there was a lack of geographic separation between fully protected wolves already existing in Montana. The judge wrote that he had reached his decision with utmost reluctance. He ordered the removal, specifically not the killing, of reintroduced wolves and their offspring from the Yellowstone and Central Idaho experimental population, then immediately stayed his order, pending appeal. The Justice Department appealed the case, and in January 2000, the decision was reversed. Although five years of reintroductions were predicted, no transplants occurred after 1996 because of the early success of the reintroductions. That was 25 years ago. So how is the experiment working? Here's Ranger Beth Taylor to describe the cascade of changes the reintroduction of wolves has spawned. You may have heard that one thing in an ecosystem can affect every other thing in that ecosystem. In Yellowstone, we're watching the ripple effects caused by the return of the gray wolf. Now that wolves are back, researchers are discovering how they affect other species in the park. Though the coyote population increased during the wolves' absence, wolves are now reducing the number of coyotes in areas of the park where they compete for prey. Pronghorns could benefit, since coyotes prey heavily on pronghorn fawns. Fewer coyotes could lead to an increase in fox, because those two animals compete for smaller prey species like rodents. Since elk are the most common prey of wolves in Yellowstone, their numbers are coming down from an all-time high, reached while wolves were gone. Because wolves kill the weakest animals, they make elk herds healthier by removing the old, young, and infirm. Elk may change their movements, distribution, and foraging behavior now that wolves are back. Changes in elk browsing patterns could lead to an increased growth in aspen and willow communities, which could affect other animals and birds, like the yellow warbler and willow flycatcher. There's already an increase in beaver colonies in the northern range of the park where the wolf population density is highest. When wolves kill prey to eat, many scavengers take part in the feast. Grizzly bears, coyotes, ravens, magpies, eagles, and numerous insects all eat from wolf-killed carcasses. Grizzly bears repeatedly steal carcasses from some wolf packs in the park. With bears getting food from wolves, will they have more cubs or shorten their hibernation? Will bears learn to follow wolf packs and let wolves do the hunting for them? The effect wolves have on other plants and animals is teaching us more about them and their role in the complex web of this ecosystem. There's still much to learn. The wolves are only one piece to the vibrant puzzle that is Yellowstone. It's exciting to witness the comeback of a threatened species as wolves reclaim their place here. The future of wolves in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem will depend on how livestock depredation and hunting of wolves outside the park are handled. Wolf populations will also continue to be affected by the availability of elk, deer, and bison, which fluctuates in response to hunting quotas 
winter severity, and disease. To what extent wolves may have contributed to the decline of the northern Yellowstone elk population since the mid-90s, or the possibly related resurgence of willow in some areas, is an ongoing topic of debate. Wolves are one of the most studied species in the world. Uh, beginning in the late 1950s, they weren't. And because of the problems that are associated living with wolves, um, a lot of studies were kicked off in the, in the 50s and 60s. And now they're one of the most studied animals on the planet. And so it's hard to advance your knowledge in that kind of arena. But Yellowstone has. Uh, there was a book published in 2003, which was a review of all the science done on wolves up to that point. And in the introduction of that book, uh, the author said, we've tried to include of what, as, as much knowledge as Yellowstone has learned in the first few years, but Yellowstone holds the most promise to unlocking some of the wolves' secrets that are so far unknown. And I think Yellowstone has done that. And that's because, uh, and this is somewhat controversial, we've had a good radio collaring record. So we're able to follow individuals and packs um, the park is big, but it's more accessible than, say, northern Canada or Alaska. And about half our population is viewed daily from the road. And this is an odd feature of recovery that I didn't think would occur. I thought wolves would be more secretive and shy. But we're getting information about pack dynamics, about individuals, about predation, about interactions with other species on a daily basis. And there's no other study in the world that's doing that. And then we do the traditional things, radio tracking, airplanes, genetics, drawing blood, looking at disease exposure that all the other studies do. So you combine the traditional scientific methods with citizen science and daily observation and, and a public that loves to come here and see wild nature. And again, I can't overemphasize how important wolf recovery has been just to public enjoyment. Yellowstone is the best place in the world to view wolves and people come here to do it. And that's immeasurably important to the park's uh, goals and policies that, that people see intact nature. So yeah, Yellowstone has changed the world's view of, of wolves. And we're in the news all the time. And I think having positive news out there about wolves, because to be honest, there is a lot of negative because they're hard to live with. But having Yellowstone there providing this positive good news has been very important, not only for Yellowstone, but what we know about wolves and the image of wolves worldwide. The reintroduction of these animals has provided biologists like Doug Smith with invaluable information about the lives and behaviors of wolves. Well, most ecosystems are best when they're balanced. And I think it's safe to say that Yellowstone without wolves and other carnivores, now keep in mind, cougars were also eliminated and they came back on their own and bear numbers declined and that affected the balance of the ecosystem. And so ecologists refer to this as biodiversity, but emphasize the word diverse having a lot of different kinds of things at moderate numbers is better than having a lot of any one thing. And prior to wolf recovery, we had a lot of elk, we had a lot of coyotes, and we had very little things like willow and aspen and songbirds and beavers. And so uh, the entry of wolves and other carnivores, because bears have increased and cougars have come back too. So now we're a carnivore rich system 
and we've restored that top layer of the system. So really the simplest way to look at it is all the parts of the system now are in place and they're interacting differently. And I hesitate to use a value judgment laden word, but it, it's healthier this way than we had certain parts of the system before that were absent. So all those things functioning together has made nature look like it used to before we started managing it. And those management intentions were, were good. We just didn't know enough about it. And so we've had this makeover in Yellowstone now. We've brought carnivores back, wolves being the most high profile, and it's changed the way Yellowstone looks. Humans have made disastrous environmental mistakes ever since they had the strength and numbers to attempt to tame the land. But humans also have the power to fix those mistakes. The best answer as to why wolves were restored to Yellowstone is it makes it a natural system. It was the law, but finally people wanted it. The public's view of nature has changed and evolved. So creatures that were previously considered bad, uh, scapegoats, have now had a image alteration and a lot of the public demanded that we bring some of these animals back. Yellowstone National Park is the best place in the world to see wolves in the wild. But where do you go? The Lamar Valley, of course. Ranger Beth Taylor again. Lamar Valley was named for Lucius Lamar, the Secretary of Interior in 1885. For over a century, it was one of the least visited areas of the park. But lately, it's become very popular for wolf watching. The broad expanse of valley was sculpted by glacial ice and strewn with glacial ponds and boulders dropped by melting ice. Flanked by the steep ridges and peaks of the lofty Absorca Mountains and dotted with aspen groves, the valley is bisected by cottonwoods along the Lamar River. It is truly beautiful. And it is seething with wildlife. As wintering ground for hundreds of bison and thousands of elk, it's a great place to see the large prey species of the park. And where there's prey, there are bound to be predators. Sometimes called the American Serengeti, Lamar Valley is the best place in the world to view wild wolves. When wolves were reintroduced to the park in 1995, the first packs were released in Lamar Valley because it's perfect wolf habitat with all the elk and wide open space in which to chase them. The wolves have spread out over the park. The Northern Range still supports the highest density of wolves and their pack territories overlap here. Visitors and researchers enjoy watching wolves hunt, eat, sleep, fight, and play. Some thrill at hearing the wolves howl. In Lamar Valley, the wolves not only interact with their prey, but also with coyotes, ravens, grizzlies, and even other wolves. No one predicted they would be this visible, but 20,000 people see wolves each year in Yellowstone. Because they're so visible, researchers are learning new things about wolf behavior and ecology. Their return is certainly changing the valley, and there are many theories as to how wolves will affect the ecosystem. Now that they're back, we'll just have to wait and see. Wolves are not normally a danger to humans unless humans habituate them by providing them with food. No wolf has attacked a human in Yellowstone, but a few attacks have occurred in other places. Like coyotes, wolves can quickly learn to associate campgrounds, picnic areas, and roads with food. This can lead to aggressive behavior towards humans. Never feed a wolf or any other wildlife. Don't leave food or garbage outside unattended when you're camping at Yellowstone, and make sure the door is shut on a garbage can or dumpster after you deposit a bag of trash. Treat wolves with the same respect you give any other wild animal. To date, 
eight wolves in Yellowstone National Park have become habituated to humans. Biologists successfully conducted aversive conditioning on some of them, but two had to be killed. This episode of America's National Parks was hosted by me, Jason Epperson, with text from Yellowstone National Park, along with interviews of Rangers Beth Taylor and Doug Smith, recorded by the National Park Service. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search National Park Podcast. You can also join our America's National Parks Facebook group. For more great American destinations, give us a listen at the Sea America podcast. Season three is now available wherever you listen to this one. If you're interested in RV travel, find us at the RV Miles podcast. You can also follow Abigail and me as we travel the country with our three boys at ourwanderingfamily.com. This land is your land. This land is my land. From California to the New York Island, from the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream waters, this land was made for you and me. Today's show was sponsored by L.L. Bean. Follow the hashtag Be An Outsider and visit LLBean.com to find great gear for exploring the national parks. <laughs>